Jesus said, go into all the world. He said, if we put his business first, he'd take care of our business. And you know what I believe? He's going to take care of our business. You know, I didn't even think about National Day of Prayer. We're intricately involved in National Day of Prayer. We, we made some things happen there. Well, we do that every year. I mean, without, can I say something? Without you people from here, National Day of Prayer in Ross County does not exist. And I mean that sincerely from the bottom of my heart. It frustrates me sometimes. It gladdens me all the time because you people mean business about the things that matter to Jesus. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed by that. Not only by, by, by financial support, but, but by just people support. Just showing up to events without church triumphant, without you people sitting there, the Ross County NDP event does not happen. And for you, you guys don't have to do anything. My, my daughters have been taking a sign language class, and this is, this is applause in sign language. And from me to you, for everything I just mentioned, Thank you so much, okay? It's a blessing to be a part of you guys, and uh, I very much consider myself that. I know I'm forgetting an announcement. I'm trying to fill time in case I remember it suddenly and don't lose track in the middle of my message. So, um, wow. It's crazy, isn't it? Life is just full of all kinds of surprises and stuff. Last week, my wife ditched me this week to go on a mission trip. This whole parenthood thing was her idea, and here I sit, solo, huh? That's probably for all those things that's happened like we saw portrayed by the husband family last week where I just show up and missed everything fun, you know what I mean? If you weren't here last week, uh, maybe go online, listen to the message, or get a CD from the ministry resource center back there, the, 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 the door on the right, just before you go into the cafe. Um, they can, we can get CDs of the services and messages and stuff like that. We started a series last week called Parenthood. The message last week was called Unplanned Parenthood, and it's not exactly, it was kind of a play on words, absolutely, but it, it, it was more than that. It's not about, you know, when you're, when you're expecting and you don't expect to be expecting. It's more than that. It's about being a parent. It's about being a follower of Christ and when life just kind of happens. You know what I mean? The unplanned stuff happens. And as a parent, that happens every day. The unplanned things go on and how you continue, how you lean into the person of Christ in the middle of that. And today, we're going to, talk, we're going to continue that message series. I can remember the first time that I found out that Rachel was pregnant. <laughs> wow. I remember thinking, as a 27-year-old adult male, oh my goodness, am I ready for that? I mean, really, I mean, all of a sudden, I, I am choosing to bring a life into the world, and all of my choices are going to affect that little life, and they really have no option, because I'm just, they're just stuck with whatever I decide to do. Am I ready for that? The, the pressure was, I can remember going, I was so excited, you know, like the, 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 when Rachel showed me the little pregnancy test thing, you know. <gasps> oh, my. <laughs> and then like two days later, like it really hit you like, oh, crud. And you could, you could feel the pressure, you know, of why, oh, goodness. Am I a good enough, will I, will I be a good enough parent? Am I going to mess up this, per, this young one's life? Is something I'm going to do affect them and affect them, maybe not in a good way, for the rest of their days? Oh, my goodness. I remember just, ah. 
I can remember when we bought our house, and it was the first, the thought of paying for something for 30 years was just astronomical to me. I remember walking into it, I can remember that I walked into the, the, the master bathroom, and I sat there on the toilet, literally, not, you know, not doing that, but just sitting there, because I was overwhelmed, and I remember thinking, is this a good, am I making a right, are we really ready to be locked into something like that? Am I? Oh my goodness! And I can remember as a, again as a as a as a husband, as a leader of a family, thinking, "Oh my goodness, that seems like a major stinking decision." And ah, oh, I could just feel the pressure. Am I making a mistake? Am I? Oh, is this going to be irreversible or irrevocable? Am I? What is going to go on from here? And I, it was overwhelming. How many of you have ever? Some of you felt that, haven't you? Whether to take all of a sudden, whether to quit your job or to take the next job becomes like astronomically more intense, doesn't it? Whether to go back to school or not to go back to school becomes a big stinking deal, right? I mean, all of a sudden, which car you're going to put by? All of a sudden, the, the tally marks go up. Okay, I got to think. Now I got to consider about this. Oh my! Whether to make that investment or not, all of a sudden becomes huge. How am I going to discipline? Am I going to mess up and like one day I'm going to scream at my kids and I'm going to be, I'm totally going to break their spirit and it's never, they're going to be completely messed up for the rest of because of that one moment, that one instant where I completely lose my cool and come unglued. Oh, is that really, could I really do something like that? If you've had those thoughts, like I've had those thoughts, you have that because you know, you understand your own imperfection. How many of you are, any, any, any perfect ones out there? Some of you have taken young Christian people under your wing. You've decided you're going to help them along the path, and the same sort of process goes on. Am I really going to tell them the truth? Am I really going to be able to help them walk with Jesus? And is some action or reaction I'm going to have going to totally fry them? And are they going to be able to recover if I really mess up and I step off? Because parenting is not something we just do as, as biological people. It's something we do as spiritual people. Parenting is something that we do because we're, we're called to do what? We're called to make disciples. That means we take young Christians underneath our wing, we get with them, and we parent them along the path of, of Christianity, along the path of following Christ. This parenting thing is not just about biology. Are you hearing me? This parenting thing I'm talking about today is about spiritual things as much as about physical things. And so if, you think, if, you're, if you're checking out because I'm talking about parenthood, you're like, dude, I'm beyond, I'm so beyond that. Or I never had kids or whatever. This still applies to you. And as followers of Christ, prayerfully, we're looking for opportunities to help somebody along and to parent them. And it doesn't make any difference where you are in your st- stages of life. There's somebody who probably has known Christ a little less than you have unless you got saved this morning. Show of hands, did anybody have that? That'd be great. I'd, be, I'd, I'd probably just forget about preaching, actually, if that's somebody raised your hand. Like, I already have done that. Thank you. I'd, I'd probably be just like, okay, let's melt right here. Any takers? We're imperfect. We, we don't have it together. God gives us power to overcome our inadequacy. Many of us are scared to death of dysfunction. We hear that term a lot in our culture, don't we? Scared to death. We, we, we read last week Psalm 127.1. The Lord doesn't build the house. We work in vain. There's a lot of pressure there to make sure we're hearing the voice of the Lord, isn't it? And I really hearing him. Go let him build it, right? 
let God, is God, are we building or is God building it? In our inadequacy, we'll try and build something. Colossians 3.21 says, uh, it talks about fathers, don't discourage your children. And I remember all of us have been there as parents where we think, oh, I'm going to make that decision that's going to discourage them. Am I going to be the one, even in all my desire to not to, am I going to do something irrevocable? We talked about dysfunction. Let's talk about dysfunction. Dysfunction is this. It's abnormality. It's, it's something that, that interrupts a function, an impairment that interrupts a function of a specified bodily organ or system. We are the body of Christ. As a family, we should operate as an organ, as a bodily system. Are you with me? Our homes should function as a unit. But sometimes things pop up and there are abnormalities that show up. You know why? Because we're all not really normal. You know why we're all not normal? Because we all have this thing called sin that runs inside of us. And out of our imperfection, things happen. Some of you are sitting here today and you think, man, I have just, my, my dysfunction is my spending habits. And am I, am I really making irrevocable damage about how my, my, my kids' future, my wife's frustration, my husband's frustration? Am I doing things right now that really messed that up? You are, you are dysfunctional because you're a human being. It's a, it's a deviation from the norm of social behavior in a way regarded as bad. All of us have something in us. And it, the old question comes up, what, well, what's normal? Can anybody really describe to me what normal is? All of us would like that beaver cleaver household, wouldn't we? Or Ozzie and Harriet. And some of you guys are going, dude, what the heck is he talking about? Dylan and Dakota are like, dude, what is that? I have no idea. Mom, what's that? What's that? Some of us want desperately to be Cliff and Claire Huxtable. But most of the time we find ourselves being that, I can't remember their names. What was his name? Roseanne. <laughs> Married with children. What was, that? What, what, what was that? Huh? Pagan Al. We find ourselves being them a lot of the time rather than being Cliff and Claire or, or Ozzie and Harriet or the Cleavers, right? And everything's not perfect. Everything doesn't work the way it's supposed to. <laughs> right? And But God will cover us in that. Aren't you glad he covers us in that? Let's talk about dysfunction and where it comes from. Let's discern, let's discern some dysfunction. The first thing we need to know about dysfunction is that delay assists in the development of a dysfunction. Delay brings about more dysfunction. What are you talking about? Well, let's look at, we're going to look at a family here who really made some horrible decisions individually and as a family. And it's in the Bible. Sometimes we have this idea that the people in the scriptures were super holy, super amazing. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't mess up. Like, they were here because the Bible's written about them. And we're like, we're down here somewhere. When it, the, the amazing thing about the story of the gospel is it reads from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. Jesus puts everything as it's supposed to be. It's about a bunch of messed up people who make, up a, bunch, who make a bunch of mistakes, who just need Jesus to get through in life. That's the whole story of the whole thing. And so it should bring us hope. In Genesis 25, you'll find the story, not, not, of, not of Cliff and Claire or Pagan Al. You'll find the story of a family whose headship is started by a guy named Isaac and a wife named Rebecca. And they were messed up. Okay? They had some problems in themselves personally, and they had some things that were physically going on. And so in Genesis 25, we'll read in verse 20 and 21. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebecca. 
And Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she wasn't able to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Pretty good story, huh? He was 40 when he got started. There may be some young adults like, dude, I'm 22 and everybody's getting married around me. Dude, you got plenty of time, trust me. Or lady, you got plenty of time, trust me. All right, don't get anxious, don't get amped up. It's good, God's got it covered. But some of you may be like Isaac and Rebecca and had something desperately going on that you want to see happen with your family. They wanted children. Isaac doesn't even get married until he's 40, which trips me out because you know what? I'm going to be 40 like next month. And I feel like I had a, had a couple kind of late already. And I find I'm not quite as patient as I was when I had my first two kids. So I got like a six-year gap between the first two and the second two. And I thought, I, I just do things a little bit different than I did in that initial round. You know? And boys are a whole lot different than girls. That just kind of complicates it even further, you know, because boys are like high energy all the time, run till your guts fall out and that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, dude, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Would you settle down? But Isaac and Rebecca found that they were in a delay because only was he 40 when they got married. He said, it says right here, God answered his prayer. If you read down to verse 25 or verse 26, the next line says, Isaac was 62 when the twins were born. They got married at four, four, 40. Is that right for you guys? No. 40. All right, I can't even do 62. I don't know how to even do that. He was 62 when they were finally born. See, and here's what could happen. I think what happened in this scenario is they started a trend. He would blame himself, what's wrong with me? She would blame herself, what's wrong with me? And then at times they blame each other, what's wrong with them? And we find our, they found themselves in this cycle of delay. The scriptures say, in the book of uh, Proverbs, uh, verse thir- or chapter 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Here is this hope. We're starting a family. Things are on track. And all of a sudden, the thing they're hoping for does not happen the way they hoped that it would. And their hearts, I believe, began to grow sick. Some of you have aspirations about what your family was going to look like. You had aspirations about what your, what your life was going to be like. You had aspirations about how things were going to go. And you found this not quite panning out right. Or this is not happening in the time frame you hoped that it would. You hope to be down the path further in your vocation. You have to be further down the path. Or something. And, and you, you, you come home and you take it out on your family because you're frustrated with the way things are. Because your heart is sick because hope has been deferred. And they, I believe they started to trend right here in this time. That, be, that they started a cycle because they wouldn't, they wouldn't keep throwing this over on Christ. They wanted to try and do some things on their own. or They, 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 they didn't keep, keep God that he was faithful to his word. See, God, does, God is absolutely sovereign. He doesn't have to do things because you want him to. And he don't have to do it the way you want him to. The way you want him to. He'd have to do it when you want him to. He'd have to do it any, he does it when he wants to. He will, the Bible says, if we keep our focus on him, he will absolutely do the things he's promised. We have to walk in a place of trust and faith. Some of you may be sitting here today and there are things about they're going with your kids that you're hoping gets worked out and it's not just happening quick enough for you. Let me tell you something. Don't let your heart get sick in the middle of that. Don't let your heart get in a place where you become frustrated and angry. Because I think that's what happened here with Isaac and Rebecca. They begin to, they started to trend in this moment. And though these kids were finally born, the cycle was started. And delay assisted in the, in the, fun, in the dysfunction of their family. Another thing that happens with dysfunction is this. 
Here's what you do. You don't allow, here's how you deal with it. You don't allow frustration to determine the climate. In your family, you determine that you're not going to trust yourself. You're going to trust Jesus. You're going to trust the, the newspaper reports. You're not going to trust even the person necessarily that you're, that you're walking with because they're imperfect. You're going to trust Jesus to work it out. You don't allow frustration to set the tone. You cannot. You can't let discouragement to, to, to set the tone. You can't allow uh, impatience to set the tone. You have to be a person who knows that your God is faithful and true. If you don't know Jesus today and life's just not working out, listen, give yourself to Christ. Let him walk with you, and he'll begin to plan, help the, the, the plans and the purposes to pan out. Another thing that happens is discrimination can extend dysfunction. What are you talking about, Aaron? Let's, let's read Genesis 25, 27, and 28. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had quite a different temperament. It was quiet. He preferred to stay at home. Now, here's where the problem comes. It's not a problem that these boys are like that. Here comes the problem. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. And the, ring, the, thing, the thing that says the tone here is the next word, but. But Rebekah loved Jacob. What happened? There was this thing happening where there were differences going on. And they'd begin to draw lines within the family. I'm on this side, and you're on that side. This is our team. This is your team. We're not together in this. We've got our own plan. We've got our own agenda. And then instead of appreciating the differences that God created their children to be, they begin to draw lines based on the differences. They began, now I, I appreciate something. There, there are parts of our family that, that, that my kids, i got four kids, and I, I found that there are certain things about the makeup of certain my kids that I just click with. And there's other things about my other kids that I just click with. And it's not the same. And sometimes it creates this attitude of like, Daddy's not spending time with me because, you know. And, it, and it's a delicate situation. I understand that. But the problem is here that it was so distinct that probably both those boys knew it. Because the word but's right there. And but is a negative connotation. Everything's going one way, but Isaac had his little thing going on with Esau. And Rebecca had her little thing going on with Jacob. And there was just frustration and anger and things that were brewing be probably because they'd drawn a line when all that, that delay was happening. And then when they had twins, it just continued to materialize. They were, can you imagine this? Can, I think there were times when Jacob would come in and he felt like he had done something really, really awesome. And he'd go to run to his dad. Dad, check this out. Boy, why can't you be a real man like your brother? And Esau would do the same thing with Rebecca. Mom, check this out. I just, I just killed this whatever, you know. I wish you were more sensitive like Jacob is. And instead of appreciating the gifting, each of them found out to be a place where they just weren't good enough. They just didn't measure up. They, I had an adult person in my, in my office just a couple of weeks ago on an afternoon. And there were some things going on in their family, and we sat there together, and, and they, they were dealing with one, like an extended issue with their family. And we began to talk, and I began to ask some questions. 
And then suddenly big, big tears well up in their eyes. I've never heard my dad tell me he loved me. The only time my mom ever told me she loved me was when I was facing surgery and it didn't look like I maybe was going to come out of it. It was kind of risky. I thought, oh my goodness. And sometimes we say things just off the cuff and don't realize the damage that we're doing. Here in this body of believers, we've got to find a way not to discriminate. We've got to find a way to appreciate the gifts and the callings and the makeup of the people God's called us to be a family with. And it's so harsh. Listen to these scriptures. You want to hear what God expects of us? Listen to these. God is intense. Acts 10.34 says, Peter replied, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. If we as parents and godly parents, I'm not presuming that all of us in this room right now are absolutely godly parents. I look around the room, I, I kind of believe that's pretty much the case, but I realize the first step in getting this thing right is get with Jesus. If you're not right with the Lord, if you're not walking, if you're not sure that heaven is your home, the first step in getting this dysfunction thing sorted out is to begin to walk with Jesus. Okay, let's get that straight right off the bat. The reason you have dysfunction is because you have this thing called sin. He paid the price for it, he will fix it, but you've got to let him fix it. He will cover you in it, and he will help you walk with the, with the, the Father in heaven. But check this out, you've got to have him first. And the Bible says, that Peter says, I see clearly that God shows no favoritism. God doesn't like any of us any more than he likes anybody else. He loves all of us just the same. That's amazing to me. I struggle with that at times in my own life. There are certain people I just struggle with. But I'm growing in Christ. God's like, Aaron, get that straightened out, buddy. Keep walking with me. We'll get this all ironed out, all right? Because I'm just like you. I gravitate towards people because they're good at certain stuff. Our personalities click. Or whatever you know what I mean I hate that sometimes it's a fact but if it causes me to discriminate and to make somebody else like a second-rate citizen or something I'm missing it as a follower of Christ okay I mean there's some relationships and things God's called me to be a part of and, and to, to, to work with that are for the purpose of his kingdom and I should build on those but that doesn't mean I just push everybody else if you're not with me we're not with you that's what it, that's where the, that's where denominationalism comes in there's certain parts of the denomination that are good. They concentrate on certain truths in the Scripture and all that sort of thing. But when it keeps the body of Christ from being the body of Christ, that's a problem. Are you hearing me? Anyway, James 2.9 says this, But if you favor some people over others, listen to this, you are committing sin. God doesn't say it's a personality quirk. Are you hearing me? The scriptures say, James 2, 9, not my words, the words in this, this leather-bound, gold-gilded pages book that have red letters in them. This says, for me to favor some people over others, it is sin. It's not a decision that I just, you know, can rampantly just kind of walk through and just never really think about. Listen, parents, when you find yourself saying those infamous words, I wish you were like, you know what you're doing? You're breaking the heart of your child and you are committing sin simultaneously. And some of you still do it today with adult children. One of your kids calls up and they're having problems. You know I never have this problem with Joey. These are tough words. I get it. Trust me. I get it. I also have some good news to give you. God's got you covered. Because in the middle of your inadequacy, he's going to show up. 
And in spite of your problems and your mistakes and your sin, he's still got good things planned for your family, for your kids, for those you are discipling and helping along the path of Christ. He still, he still has good things planned. And when we get to the end of it, you'll see he, he still gets it covered. But we cannot, what, what, what's the solution then to that one? Number one, we don't allow differences to destroy. We don't allow them to be contentious. You know what we do do? We celebrate the uniqueness for the purpose of edification. God's drawn us together as a body. God's put our families together the way he's put them together. Not for us to have lines drawn in the sand, but for us to supply weakness where other people, uh, to, uh, to supply where other people are weak. Your kids are different. You know why? Because if you had everybody was exactly the same in your house, that place would be like all day long because all of you would have the same idea about doing the same thing. Let me do it. It would be crazy. One thing that makes Rachel and I work so well together is the fact we are completely opposite. I mean, completely 100% to Pastor Eric. I hadn't been going here very long, six months or something. Rachel and I are getting married. We sit in our premarital counseling session, the very first one. Pastor Eric lets us do his personality profile thing we're looking at, and he goes, he holds them both up, he goes, hmm. And he folds them down on it where we can't see what he's looking at. He leans across the desk, folds his hands like this. It goes like this. If you two weren't good, solid, spirit-filled Christians, I'd strongly encourage the two of you not to get married. And I looked at her like, no, I didn't do that. I thought, I didn't think, well, what have I got myself into? Uh, what does that? I looked at her. What does that mean? And he began to describe that, you know, it's good for opposites to attract, but we were extreme opposites. Like for both of us, certain places on the chart where if you've ever been on his personal life profile, it's like a graph. That, 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 that they make. Both of us, in opposite directions, he had to make a space where there was no, like, like the chart was down here. He's like, okay, that's probably up there somewhere. And then Rachel was like, that's probably down here. So, And he was like, I just don't. And so, you know, but you know what I found? That is the place we work best together. There are just things I just can't do because I'm just totally, I'm crazy most of the time. Nuts. And there's things she does very well. And in the place where I'm nuts, that's where she really works well. And the place where she really struggles, that's the place where I'm really strong. And so we found that we work well together that way. The same thing's true of your kids. The same thing's true of this church. The same thing's true of the body of Christ as a whole. There are certain things that we do well. There are certain things that other people do well. We're not, the, we're not supposed to get caught up with the differences so much that we go, oh, crap, I just can't believe what do they think they're doing. You know, that kind of thing. We are supposed to celebrate the uniqueness that God has created. We are each a unique creation. The Bible says we are workmanship. Isaac and Rebecca were created differently on purpose. Esau and Jacob were created differently on purpose. That was not supposed to be a point of discrimination. That was supposed to be a point of celebration in their family that God had done something. Even though they came from the same womb at the same time, they were different. That's okay. The next thing that causes problems and dysfunction is this. Disengagement intensifies dysfunction. Genesis 27.1 reads like this. He called for Esau. His older son and said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied, I'm an old man now. I don't know when I may die. I'll pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my, first, my firstborn son before I die. The problem with that is, if you go back... Um, a little bit, you'll find 
that Jacob, I mean, that, that Isaac, the Bible says he was blind. That was a physical issue. He could not, he could not see things clearly. In the middle of him not seeing things clearly, it created a problem between his two sons. Because one son, one son, acts like the other son. And there was a disengagement that took place because I, he could not differentiate the two boys, and then there's, there's a place for schism and division to happen. Isaac's problem is not something he can control. The problem I found with a lot of family situations, we're blind on purpose. We choose not to look at certain things or to deal with certain things. And part of it is because we've dealt with them for so long, we're just tired of dealing with them. And if we remain disengaged, problems happen. A few years ago, I, I was here one afternoon, and Pastor Eric had gotten a call from, a, from, a, from another pastor and a, another minister in the area, two of them. They'd been working with a family, and they were convinced that this young man and their family was demon-possessed, and this one family was demon-possessed. They didn't know how to contend with that. And so they brought this family and this young man out here to the church, and Pastor Eric said, I'd like to, you, for me to, you, you to join me in that. And I was like, oh, boy, this is a biggie. Ooh. So we met the old sanctuary over there. And when this young man comes into the room, he automatically starts going, bleh, bleh, you know, just like, you know, like you'd anticipate, like, you know, who I like to, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And well, I end up kind of, kind of on top of the kid at one point and just trying to, and all of a sudden, Pastor Eric goes, well, why don't the rest of you leave? Have at it, man. I'm <laughs> And so we go out, he could go over to the other church, I want to sit and talk to this, this young man for a little bit. He talked, we came over here, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, no answer from pastor. An hour and a half runs by, and the family's like, what is going on over there? I'm like, I have no idea. Would you go check for us? I'm like, okay. So I walked over there, and walked to the old sanctuary door, and the door is wide open, the lights are on, nobody's home. Pastor Eric's not there, young man's not there. Wow, okay, now how you deal with that? And you've got a worried family and have not only no information to give them, you have less information to give them than they had when they left the building. So I come back over and I say, I don't know what's going on, but there's nobody over there. What? They all go, what? I'm like, there's nobody there. Are you serious? Absolutely. So let me go back over and make sure I just didn't over, maybe they were walking around the building or something, I missed them or something. So I, I go walking back over there, and I find Pastor Eric and this young man walking around the cemetery out back. I come walking up to him, and immediately the kid goes, that whole thing, you know. And Pastor looks at him and goes, shut up. And Pastor Egg looked at this young, looked at me, he said, this young man's problem is not that he's demon-possessed. His problem is this. He has no connection to his dad. We walk in the front doors together. The family's sitting out here in the foyer. And as soon as we come around the corner, Pastor Eric and, me, and myself and this young man. The dad stands up and, and, and turns around. And as soon as the son and the dad make eye contact, the son, this is really exactly what happens, the son runs over to the father and just begins to kick him in the shins as hard as he can, as much as he can, and the dad never emotionally engages. It was one of the most unbelievable moments I have ever experienced in my life. No, the, what the kid wanted was dad to make a connection. What the kid wanted was for dad to just, 
he wanted any emotion whatsoever, anything at all that dad would just connect. I want dad to connect. Dad's not connecting. And dad did nothing. Dad was blind to the fact that he was the one creating. And I think he just decided he just he had more important things to do, like work and different things like that, that he just didn't have time really to be a father. He just he was just doing his doing his thing. I haven't heard much over the last few years, but if, uh, recently. But the last I heard, this, this kid was strung out on drugs and all sorts of craziness. They never did get, get it straightened out. And Pastor Eric tried to be as loving and as possible and tell the truth of what he believed was going on. It never got resolved the last I heard. Maybe and that's been, that's probably been three or four years ago since I've heard that, heard anything about them. Here's the point. If we act like things aren't going on and they're going on, that's, what, that's just going to exacerbate the problem. It's, it's, not going to get, it's not going to get better, Mom, Dad. Some of you who are discipling young Christians and you see certain things going on, and you, if you turn a blind eye to that, that is not going to fix the problem. Those of you who are, who are parenting grandchildren and things like that because mom and dad have made bad decisions, and you begin to see the same things begin to materialize, for you to not do nothing, about, not, not to do anything about that is only going to make it worse. You cannot turn a blind eye to those things. Are you hearing me? You can't, you can't, you can't defer to, to, other, to other things, other people. Other, other, it's not going to fix itself. So don't be electively blind. Be purposely persistent. What you got to do? You can't be. You can't choose not to look. You can't choose not to be involved. You can't choose not to do that. You got to be intentionally persistent, purposefully persistent about those things that are potential issues. Here's another thing that happens: division, deceit will solidify the dysfunction. There was a word given to these young boys in Genesis 25, 22, but the two children struggled within each other in her womb. So she went back to ask the Lord about it, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. That's backwards in the way we look at things. You've got to pronounce certain things. And God said things will happen in a certain capacity. Well, to that word, the parents respond, and we'll find it in Genesis 27. Verse 1. Esau, Isaac called for Esau. His older son, and he said, my son, he said, yes, father, I am an old man now. Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. I'll pronounce a blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. One of two things happened here in this circumstance. Because God spoke the word to Rebekah, she either never expressed that, what God had told her about her two boys, and thereby created some opportunity for deceit, or... Or, Isaac heard the word and he did not care. One of two things happens. Because God already said this is how it's going to be, and Isaac somehow is too determined to make sure it's happened the way he wants it to happen. But you know what's funny about that? Rebecca's the same way. Let's read on. Verse 5. She said to her son Jacob, listen, I've overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I'll bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly what I tell you to do. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. But look, Jacob replies to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man and my skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? He will see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you to do. Go out and get the goats for me. Rebecca's problem is just the same as Isaac's. She knows the word, and she doesn't respect her husband's position, or she's determined she's going to help God out, or both simultaneously. Both are wrong responses. 
Both are wrong. Because God's big enough to handle Isaac's problem. Mom, wife, your husband may have problems. He's probably imperfect. He's probably inadequate. God can handle him. Trust me. He got him. And he'll help you get through. Wife, husband, you better care about what God wants more than you care about what you want. Some of you are determined that your son or your daughter is going to be what you want them to be. You're determined they're going to be that. And you've so determined that you probably forgot even to pray about it anymore. You probably forgot that, 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 that God maybe, have, maybe wants some say-so in it. And right now you're trying to get them off on something that they, they just don't even care about, wanting to do. And you maybe are thwarting the plans and purposes of God. What Isaac was doing here, he was determined he was going to bless the one boy in spite of the fact where he spoke and the way things were going to be. It's kind of intense, isn't it? But we do the same thing all the time. We just want our kids to be certain things. And most of the time, you know what, the kids, what, 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 what we want our kids to be is the thing we failed to be. Some of you guys have great plans about your, your, your sons and daughters being great athletes. You make sure they're at every function and they do every sport possible. And they do all that. You know why? Because you feel like you didn't do it. You couldn't measure it. And you want them to. And you're pushing them. You're like, I really don't want to do that, Dad. Yeah, you do, son. You know you want to. Oh, I'm not. You know what I mean? And the kid's like, no, Dad. Like, I've done this for three years and I really don't care about doing it anymore. I just really don't. You got to. Man, you, you, you got to go to college. You got to get a scholarship. You got you know, and you just keep pushing and can't do that. Maybe you should ask God what he wants. And if God says they want him to do that, go ahead, go for it. Run. Make sure they don't quit. Make sure they don't stop. But if God doesn't say so, you probably shouldn't do that. Mom, if you know God's spoken certain things about your children, you better share it with dad. You better not try to make it happen on your own. And even if it's something dad don't want to hear, you better make sure, you know, I was praying the other day. And it better be God, Okay. You better not be one of those, I think he's supposed to be that, or she's supposed to be that. I think, I think God told me. You know what I mean? I, and use, use the God card to get what you want. No, don't do that. Please don't do that. That's bad. That's really bad. That's a problem with, with Rebecca, because she wanted that really bad. Why? Because Jacob loved, or Isaac loved Esau, and she loved Jacob, right? That's the way it went. So, how do you fix that? Well, you're going to be unified on God's plan and not your own ideas. You're going to be unified on His plan. You're going to be together on His plan. You're going to figure out what His plan is. If you're involved in the development of a young Christian person with some other leaders, and you think they're supposed to go one way, and you guys better put together so you help to equip them the right way together and not try to get your own plan going in their life. Here's the other way. You've got to let God bring it about. Remember Psalm 127.1. You've got to let God put the thing together. You've got to let Him build it. And if you don't, you'll mess it up. Remember last week we talked about that. In all of our trying to build it ourselves, we, we, we make happen the exact opposite of what we intend and what God wants without him building it. Without him doing it. And what they did here, they, they, they were working against God trying to make happen what they thought God wanted to happen. Well, here's, the, here's, the, here's the win. Are you ready for the win? Divine grace wins over dysfunction. 
Divine grace wins over dysfunction. Divine grace wins over imperfection. Divine grace wins over inadequacy. Divine grace wins over big mistakes. Divine grace wins over horrible decisions. Divine grace wins over all of it. God's will overcomes the dysfunction that deficiency, that deficiency creates. Genesis 28, 32. No, 32, 28, I'm sorry. It says this, God is wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob been a deceiver because his mommy taught him really good how to do that. And he has interact, interaction with the father. And in spite of his mom's horrible decisions, listen to these words. Your name will no longer be called Jacob, which means deceiver, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, which means prince of God. You will no longer be a deceiver. You will be a godly, righteous person. You will be what everything God planned for you to be in the beginning. You will be that in spite of the dysfunction your family created in your life. Parents, you will make mistakes, but God's grace wins out if we keep it before him. Your deficiency is not so big that God can't handle it. In fact, he begs us to come to him in our weakness because in our weakness, he is made strong. Another thing that happened here is God's love overcomes the disruption that dysfunction creates. Here are these two boys have been at each other from the get-go. Parents have drawn lines in the sand. They deceive one another, do all kinds of stuff and create this scenario within their home, and they can't even keep these boys from getting together and loving each other. Genesis 33, 4, listen to this. Then Esau ran to meet him and embrace him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Even though mom and dad tried to draw lines, God would have the final say. In the middle of mom and dad's inadequacy, in the middle of mom and dad's imperfection, in the middle of mom and dad's deception and deceiving and, con deceiving and conniving, God's will went out. God's purpose won out. God's love won out. And whatever decision, parents, listen to me. Whatever decisions you think you've made have been horrible ones, listen to me. God's got it covered. Let him build the house. Let him grow the child. He will cover you in your inadequacy. He will cover you in your weakness. He will cover you in your problems. Man, I wish we'd all get a hold of that. Because you know what happens? When you realize that God's will is going to win out, God's grace is going to win out, God's love is going to win out, it takes the pressure off you to make something happen. It takes the pressure off of you. And you can begin to interact with your kids the way God wants you to. You don't have to make something happen. How many of you in this room have been in a place where you thought, dude, my kids are making a horrible decision? How many of you have seen God make, God, your kids are make a horrible decision, and you thought it was going to be just like the end of the world, and on the other hand, God went, I got that, and it turned around. Let's throw up the other hand now. Look around the room here. Throw the hands up high. Throw them up high. Let's see a testimony of the grace of God. See, we had one hand up. We're going, dude, I really messed up. My kids are messing up. We're really messing up. And God's grace wins out. Let's see that again. Look around. Look around. Look around. Look around. So I have a question for you, parents. Are you letting God build it? Are you, are you allowing delay to bring you pressure? Are you allowing delay to create a climate of frustration? Are you allowing differences to develop discrimination in your family? Are you allowing there to be lines drawn in the sand? Are you guys unified or not? Are you allowing you to keep are you allowing you to keep you disengaged? Are you choosing not to look at certain things, hoping they'll go away? Choosing to be blind, creating more more, more frailty and listen. 
Are you, keeping a, are you under division and deceit or are you under vision and unity? Which one are you operating in? My daughter's going to write a book one day. She's going to call it, we thought we laughed about it, call it Donuts in the Church Lot. Memoirs of a Preacher's Kid. One night we were out here and it had snowed. We were, we were, they were here with me late one night. I don't know what it was, just me and the girls. And it was, the, the parking lot was covered. I said, you want to have some fun? They're like, yeah, let's have some fun, Dad. I'm like, okay, listen, you cannot tell your mom. You cannot tell your mom. Are we, are, are we agreement on that? Yes, Dad. I said, okay. And so I, I got a front-wheel drive car, so I threw that thing in reverse. You know, and uh, having just a good time. I had every intention of telling Rachel, but I just want to see, you know, just, you know. And so I said, if your kids, if your kids come up to you, babe, and say something about donuts in the parking lot, I know nothing. She went, what? I said, I just, we were just having fun. We went for like three days. They never said anything. They never uttered a word. And I realized at that moment how quickly I could get myself into something that could be a potential problem. And I could create some real hampering of our relationships because my kids could be hanging on to things. I said, I said, girls, did you tell your mom what happened Wednesday night? She was right there in the kitchen. They're like, no, no. I said, it's all right, I told her. Oh, they were like, oh, oh. They thought somehow word had gotten out, you know. I, 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 We've got to be very careful because it's real easy to start to develop that. We've got to be unified. We've got to be on the same page. We've got to be working together. We have, we have goals. And as, as parents, as people who are discipling young Christians, people who are helping people along, listen, our goal has got to see them become everything that Jesus wants them to be. Not what we've designed for them to be. Not what we hope they'll be. Not that. We've got to help them become all that Jesus wants. Everything that God desires. And he will take care of it. Listen to this. They've made really bad decisions, Isaac and Rebecca. But David writes these words. I believe these are probably the prayers of, of, of them. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Listen, your, your fortunes may have turned in your parenting. Your fortunes may have turned in your family life. Your fortunes may have turned in somebody you're trying to help walk with Jesus. Your fortunes may have turned, and your adequacy may have popped up in front of you, and you hate looking at it. But listen, God says if we sow in tears, we will one day reap in joy. If we sow... Because of bad things, and we keep at it, and we stay with him. He's going to turn that thing around. Parents, people, you've not messed up so bad that you, God can't fix it. God's grace is overwhelming and unbelievable. He will take things that are screwed up, and he'll make beautiful artwork. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a church called Mosaic out in, out in California, by, pastor by a guy named Erwin McManus. He chose Mosaic because he said that's what happens. Broken lives are all messed up, and there's shards and pieces of, of glass. It really don't make sense. And then God takes it, and he puts it back together. He makes a beautiful piece of artwork out of it. That's what God does with each one of us. He takes the brokenness, the messed up part of us, and he puts us back together. He makes something beautiful out of it. He'll do the same thing in your family. 
He'll do the same thing with your children. He'll do the same thing in your church family. He'll do all of that, I promise. He's got it all under control. Stand with me if you would. If you're feeling the pressure and you feel like, man, I am goofed up, my life is goofed up, my wa- my, maybe you think my wife is goofed up, um, you know, my husband's blind, you know, and maybe you, all those things have been going around in here this morning. Maybe some of you are thinking, man, my parents have so screwed up my life. Can I, do, can I, can I, can I say something to you? Don't be a victim. Don't, don't be a victim. Don't allow what your parents did to dictate, don't allow what your parents did in your past to dictate to you what's going to happen in your future. Because if God took care of these two boys named Jacob and Esau, if he took care and made his plans happen for them, he is not through with you yet either. Despite the dysfunction of your family, despite the mess-ups your parents had and the abuse you suffered and all of that stuff, God's got it covered. So if you're a parent today and you feel the pressure that you're making horrible decisions, I'm going to see your hand. If you're a child and you said, man, my parents made horrible decisions, I'm still dealing with it. Raise your hand. Jesus, you see those hands. And Father, I pray, God, you would minister to each, each life. God, where parents feel overwhelmed and parents feel struggling. God, where there's people here who, who have worked hard to bring somebody underneath their wings spiritually, Lord, and they, 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 they want to be, be sure they're, they're planting the right truth and giving the right counsel and, and helping God to, along the path and not deterring. Lord, I pray, Jesus, you'd alleviate that. Pressure, God, that our inaccuracy is going to keep you from doing something. Lord, I pray, Father, we would realize, Jesus, in spite of our frailty, in spite, God, of our, our imperfection, God, I pray, Jesus, you would show that your hand is stronger, that your will God prevails, that your love wins, that God, that your grace is powerful. The Lord Jesus, you've not given up, and so we shouldn't either. God, for those children who are here, who are still reeling from the effects of imperfect parenting, God, who've been set on a path of just a cycle of life that just, is, just keeps them running on that hamster wheel, and they don't feel like they ever get ahead because those things just keep popping up over and over again. Lord, I pray that today, God, your grace would go to them. Your life, God, would be instilled in them. And Lord Jesus, your peace would be given. Lord, I pray, God, for those who have not yet made that commitment of faith to you. And their life is dysfunctional because you're not a part of it. I pray in this moment they would realize their own frailty. And they'd realize your power. And I pray your grace, God, would reach into them. And they would confess with their mouth, Lord, that you are Lord. And that, God, they would believe with their entire being that that is exactly true. And that, God, you would revolutionize their life in that moment, Jesus. God, I pray for grandparents today who are still concerned they're making right decisions because they're, for all practical purposes and some real purposes, God, they are parenting children again. And God, they feel like they're goofing it up all over again. Jesus, let your grace, God, be strong. It is sufficient, God, in our weakness. It's sufficient in our, in our, in our frailty. It's sufficient in our inadequacy, Jesus. God, I pray, God, your blessing would show up and your power would be known. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, you establish our homes in peace. You allow your grace to win out. God, I pray for those moms and those dads who feel like they're walking the spiritual walk on their own. They don't have anybody to count on in their house, either physically or spiritually or emotionally, Lord. And God, where there's fraction and f- fracture and just disarray, God, I pray you'd make up every piece of lack there. 
And I pray, God, there would be a time that you'd bring a house into unity together, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, God, where those who are just completely on their own, that, God, you'd be the husband that never leaves, the father that's strong and powerful. And we bless you in the love. I want to give you one last piece of, of counsel. I heard a father say this last night at our homeschool expo as he was acknowledging his daughter's graduation. He said, I have not been the perfect father because I cannot be. But we both have a perfect father who's watching over us. And I have not been the perfect teacher. But we both know the perfect teacher who's made sure you have everything that you need. And I have not been the perfect guide. But God has made available his Holy Spirit who is our guide and perfect. And I trust from this point on God's going to see you through. Mom, dad, child, you've not been a perfect anything. But our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is sufficient to rule the day. Let the pressure be gone and you just be what he wants you to be and you do what he wants you to do and let God take care of the rest. Those of you who are discipling young people, listen, you will not be the perfect teacher. You will not be the perfect father figure or mother figure. You will not be the perfect guide, but the Holy Spirit of God will absolutely be that. Our Father in heaven will be that. Our our Savior, our friend, our brother in heaven will be that. Trust him. Will you join me in prayer? As I was sitting here staring at a mom and dad who want desperately to know that their son is going to be okay. Dave and Patty Miller's son right now is in the air flying to United Arab Emirates on a security detail for our military. Doing something he can't even really talk about too much. And so he's going to be there for 30 days. You join me in prayer real quick. Jesus, God, we pray, God, for Chad Miller. God, he's serving you. He's serving our country. He's serving us by doing what he's doing. And God, we pray that, God, your blessing would be all around him. Your protection would would surround him. Your angels, your power, your strength. We pray your wisdom would guide him and your Holy Spirit would speak to him. And we pray, Jesus, whatever's going on in this, in this, this, this deployment he's in, God, I pray, Jesus, you would take care of him. And God, he'd be a blessing to those over him, a blessing to those under him, a blessing to those around him. And we pray the light of the glory of God would be there. And God, as I say those words, God, Brian Carter has just left this morning for Alabama and his mom left, got word this week he's going to be in a, in a combat deployment, God, with a, a detachment from Illinois leaving sometime soon. And God, we pray the same over Brian. As he's serving you right now going to Alabama, he'll be serving you, God, sometime later going over to, to Afghanistan. We pray your blessing and your life and your strength, God, would be given in that. God, we trust you. We put them in your hands and we declare you're great and you're good. It's in your awesome name that we pray and everybody say, amen. Listen, God's got you covered. He's got your family covered. He's got your children covered. He's got your sons, your daughters, your moms, your dads. He's got it all covered. Go be the people of God and walk in the understanding of that. Keep praying for Alabama team. You're free to go. We love you. Give God a hand clap and you can go.